The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, and welcome back to the Tomahawk Take Podcast. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, and with me, as always, is Alan. Hello there. And Fred. Howdy! And guys, we are one week away from pitchers and catchers. Oh, never mind. We are still in a lockout, and I don't see it getting finished anytime soon. Uh, Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report sometime next week. But I don't see that happening. I don't see spring training happening in the near future. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot on today's podcast, as well as some rules that have become official, like the DH and competitive balance picks being taken away. Also had a press conference from Rob Manfred on Thursday with a lot of stuff to dive into there and a new proposal coming from the owners on Saturday. Well, let's start at the top. With the news that the DH is coming to the National League and, you know, somebody a bit old school myself as far as uh, baseball rules, I've been very much against the DH coming to the National League for years now. But I will admit 2020 changed my mind a little bit on that. I didn't mind it as much as I thought. And to be honest, pitchers just don't take it seriously anymore. Um, and it's become hard to watch for a lot of pitchers when they're up there. Now, you're going to miss moments like Max Fried's walk-off hit against the Marlins, which for me was top five, top ten moment for the Braves. Uh, definitely regular season, at least. There's probably 20 top moments in the postseason alone, but definitely regular season. That was one of my favorite moments from this past regular season for the Braves was Max Fried getting that walk-off hit. So, And I guess you could technically still see him pinch hit, but... We're not going to see pitchers, for the most part, batting in the National League anymore. And again, with the way that pitchers approach it nowadays, I'm kind of okay with this. I still prefer the National League game, but that is no more, and I don't think we'll ever go back to it. I mean, everybody else uses the DH now, so it's something once it happens, we all knew it was coming. We'll ne- we're never going to see it again in my opinion, but Alan, I'll start with your, you, your thoughts on the DH officially coming to the National League as Rob Manfred stated on Thursday. 
it's a sad day, but it's an, been an inevitable day for quite a while since basically the National League was about the only holdout on the planet that still honored pitchers coming to the plate. We still see that with the real athletes like a Max Fried here and there, uh, doing, being used as a pinch hitter in, in either tight spots or a place where they just kind of don't really want to use maybe the best pinch hitter available, but might want to use Max to, uh, get out of a spot or something. But still, it's, it's, it's a sad day. I, I, I've always liked the idea of having pitchers hit because I think that's, part of the game. I, I like the idea that these athletes should be playing in the field and hitting together and not one or the other, but that has been the way things have been trending, well, pretty much ever since the American League started this uh, trend back in the early 70s. So I, I don't like it, but I also don't like the fact that pitchers are coming to the majors now who almost haven't come to the plate and therefore were not even prepared at times to defend themselves against a, a 90 or 95 mile an hour pitch. So that kind of thing is now a safety issue as much as anything else, but I still like to see it. Yeah, and the fact they're spending so much money on these starting pitchers nowadays and how important their arms are, a big part of it is, like you said, a safety issue and as much as we love to uh, watch, you know, a Max Fried or a Jacob Degrom or Madison Bumgarner or Zach Bartolo Brinke. Cologne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is there are far too many Bartolo Colognes, and Mike Poltonevich was the, the the straw for me. I, I could not stand watching him get in a batter's <laughs> box, and there are just far too many pitchers like that these days that are just they're a waste of time to to watch, and I get that side of it. But I, I do appreciate those like Mad Bum and Freed and DeGrom and Grinky who really take it serious and go up there and, and, you know, can have a good at bat. There's just not enough of that anymore. And like you said, Alan, there's not, not enough emphasis on that for pitchers coming up. I mean, you got kids now who know they're going to be starting pitchers after high school. They probably don't pick up a bat again. So I understand why it's going there, Fred. Like Alan said, it is a little sad, but it was an inevitable change in, in my mind at this point, a necessary one. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's been coming for a long time. As much as we uh, jousted at those windmills, tilted those windmills, it's always been coming because baseball started this a long time ago. Uh, the clubs brought this on themselves when they said, hey, we don't want you to take batting practice. Uh, we don't care if you learn how to hit. Uh, we're, we're not going to hold you to doing the same things we hold everybody else doing, like learning how to bunt, learning how to hit, learning how to uh, learning the strikes up the other side. So it's been coming for a long time. The flip side of this, and something uh, I get people look, shake, looking at me and shaking their head, is pitchers don't understand what it's like to be on the other side. You know, the, the, they don't stand at the plate with somebody like them on the mound throwing. 95 miles an hour, and they don't know how, how they don't understand how it, what kind of reactions it gives them. And I'm, I'm not saying it's going to make them a better pitcher, but I think it w they would understand better what they had to do if they saw it from the other side. You see the pitchers now that, well, on the mound, you've got to have this, this motion and you've got to keep everything tight and you got to do this, you got to do that. But if you don't understand what's, what, what happens in that batter's mind when the ball is coming at him, when you release it, then I think you're losing 
an important part of the equation. Now, that's just me. I've had pitchers tell me, oh, I didn't learn anything at the plate, and I'm just, I'd say that you probably weren't trying, but either that, that's neither here nor there. It's over and done. So, yeah, move on with it. Uh, Otani's still going to bat, and you're going to see a couple of two-way players pop up here and there. But uh, most for most of the time, it's over. I'm more worried about the young people who never do anything but play baseball, and when they play baseball, all they do is pitch. That, that to me, is a crime <laughs> that they don't pay other sports. I don't care if they only pitch in baseball, but yeah, go play soccer, go play basketball, go play lacrosse. Do something. Just do something different so your body can, do, can learn to do different things. I think the, the way it's filtered down is, is you know, it's uh, we're trying to hold that rock up and keep it from rolling over the top of us. Just get out of the way and let it go downhill. Yeah, a couple of interesting points you made there, Fred. One is I wonder if we will see uh, more two-way players now. Obviously, Otani's kind of made it, you know, popular. The Braves just signed a player who could potentially be a two-way guy in, in Spencer Schwellenbach. So I wonder if we'll see more players like that you know I, I don't know I don't know that this necessarily necessitates that happening but just curious to see if that becomes more of a trend also one thing you kind of touched on I don't know you weren't really necessarily going here but talking about pitchers you know being in that batter's box seeing what it's like you know I wonder if we'll see more pitchers be more brave to go inside on guys and, and plunk guys knowing that they don't have to stand in that box and, and face that retaliation you know I don't I don't really pay attention, you know, if it happens more in the American League, if it does in a National League. But I think that's something, you know, certainly to keep an eye on. You know, back in the day when you hit somebody, you know, you had to come up into the box and you potentially had to wear one yourself. Uh, That's not going to be the case anymore. And I'm not saying that should happen. But, you know, just curious on those two things there to watch out for that. But, Alan, going back to the – go ahead. I was going to say, they never really threw in a pitcher in the old days because they didn't – the best player. Yeah, Yeah, they'd hit the best player. What happened was if the pitcher got to be a headhunter out there, then the best player took him out behind the dugout and said, look, I'm tired of getting hit. (laughs) You've got to stop doing this, or I'm going to do some hitting. And that was the end of that. Now, people still got hit, and you still had Drysdale who threw at people. He was a headhunter par excellence in that. Everybody talks about Gibson, but Drysdale hit more people than Gibson ever threw at. And Gibson used to say, if I throw at you, I'm going to hit you. Drysdale would hit you on hit you and, and you knew it was going to come. So those there were still pitchers who got mostly because we stopped get get their tail kicked behind the dugout when the when the good guy got hit. So I don't think they were ever worried about that. I just I just think it's uh I just think they lose a perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and looking at the DH position for the Braves specifically, Alan, I mean look, if Marcelo Zuna is there and he's with the Atlanta Braves and it's starting to Look that way. I'm more so on the the side now that he will play with the Braves. Not necessarily saying I agree with that or or disagree, but it's looking like that's going to be the case. He obviously fits the bill here as internal options, but who do you think you know best fits that for the Braves? Is it Ozuna? Is there somebody else out there on the free agent market like Jorge Soler that you would rather see them go get for that DH position? The trick is going to be who can play left field better. And right now, I would really still prefer to see Adam Duvall out there in left field, Ronnie Acuna in right field, and a center fielder to be named later. So if we're going to go out and get somebody, whether it's trade or what, well, for center field, it's probably going to be a trade because there's nobody out there that's worthy of going to get. Either then Christian Pache gets one more shot 
or we go out and trade for a true center fielder and then put Ozuna in the uh, DH role. If we have to do something else or we can't make that trade or whatever, then uh, maybe a Rosario, maybe a Solaire. Um, none of those guys, including Ozuna, are the best options in left field as a defender. But, uh, of course, that's why I'm leaning the other direction. I think the the Braves' best option, though, is probably to put Ozuna on the bench. Let's see him as little as possible out in the field and uh, have him uh, go ahead and DH if we've got to have him at all. Like you suggest, I think that it's what, what I'm seeing in the vibes are is that uh, Brian Snicker seemed resigned to the fact that he was going to have him on his roster. So I think we've got him. And if we got him, then the best use, as we've discussed last year when he was signed to begin with, is that uh, a DH role is, is the best way to go. Yeah. And I mean, look, let's be, be honest, Fred, whether you like the guy or not, he absolutely crushed in 2020 primarily as a DH. I mean, he, he thrived in that DH position and, Again, I'm of the belief if he's with the Braves, he's going to be the primary DH for them in 2022. You agree with that, Fred? I think if he's on the team, he has to be. Now, Marcelo Zun's always been a streaky player. He can get, he could go in a slump and be, be cold as ice for six weeks. Then he can come on and, and for the rest of the season be just too hot that no, it's so no hot. Nobody can get him out. I wonder, I wonder how that's going to, um, play. If he comes back and plays as a DH all the time, and if he's not as well received in the clubhouse as he was at one time. I I mean, I don't think anybody's going to cold shoulder him or anything, but I also don't think anybody's going to invite him to his house for a chicken dinner. And so I think, I think that that's going to play on him a little bit. But the only thing I worry about Ozuna is him getting streaky. And striking out and striking out and getting in a funk and, and then turn into, uh, turning into a, a dead weight for that reason. If he hits, he should be the DH. There are center fielders out there that won't cost us an arm and a leg, uh, to go out and will perform at a, at league average, uh, as a league average bat, which is really, really all you need. Uh, I mean, honestly, you get, you get a league average. Manuel Margot's a nice fit. By the way, he he's out there. He's had more outs above average than any other outfielder in the in, in the league last year. Um, but he's got a horrible split, so I don't know what you do about that. But in any case, yeah, I think you get a center fielder. Uh, don't play Duvall in center field, please. Right now we're set up with Duvall and Heredia to come in and back of him, and Ozuna starts and left, and then Duvall moves to left at the end of the game. And there you take out your most feared hitter at the time you probably need him the most, which makes no sense at all. So get a lineup that he can stay in and players who can play all the positions and, and do it that way. Uh, and that, that's, yeah, he's going to be the DH if, if the Braves can work it out, but they got to sign Freeman first. Yeah. First things first, get Freeman done. I do. I, like I said, I'm leaning towards Ozuna will be on the team and he'll be that DH. Like you said, Fred, I think he, you know, he has some relationships to mend, in that dugout for sure. Um, but like you said, I don't think players necessarily give them the cold sh- shoulder. Uh, but th- it's going to be interesting to see how it, how that plays out and how that, cause that's been my biggest thing from the beginning is how is he going to be accepted back in the clubhouse for this team? And it's looking like we are going to, to find out. So 
The DH is coming to the National League. Ozuna seems like the best option for the Braves there for that position. Um, but let's move over to Rob Manfred and his press conference on Thursday. A lot of other good details coming out of that. Again, I mentioned the DH becoming official. He also said there would no longer be a compensation pick rewarded to the team who le- loses a player uh, in free agency that has a qualifying offer attached to them. As you know, that has been a big hang-up for free agents in the past. That has held them back from getting signed at times or getting bigger deals. So that's a huge thing for the players there for them to take away that compensation pick. Uh, and also before that, the owners asked for a mediator. The players declined that. And now Rob Manfred said they are set to make another offer on Saturday. So, Alan, I'll, I'll kick it to you. Your thoughts on you know Rob Manfred's press conference on Thursday and just where the CBA discussions are for now, what you're kind of focusing on. Right now, I was trying to look for signals in his statement about what direction are we going or, or do we have a chance to get there and all that. And I think some of the writers either ignored or were bamboozled a bit by the, the tone that he set. Um, when this press conference was coming up, Manfred was said to be ready to postpone officially the start of spring training and move it back. That didn't happen. Instead, he had this more or less upbeat message, a lot of positivity sounding, and things that that were completely contrary to what the writers seemed to be expecting to come out out, out of that. And I think it was part of a show, uh, as everything has been, posturing, that the owners had him come out and, and say lots of nice things, including this that we were about to deliver on Saturday has more in it than any, uh, it's better in all respects than the last agreement for the player's sake. While that may technically be true in most cases, uh, I don't think the players want to uh, be put in a box like that. And I don't know that that's going to be received very well because they're, uh, parsing the words as well that he's saying, and I, I think that uh, th- their understanding that the ownership is trying to put the uh, the terms of the negotiation, at least in the public forum, uh, in in their favor. And right now, the players are probably fuming, pending what they see on Saturday. I think that in general, though. The players and owners need to start getting closer together. Somebody needs to make some uh, major concessions. And while there there's definitely some core beliefs that each side holds, if there's compatibility on each side, maybe somebody can hold on to one of those core beliefs and the other side can hold on to one of their core beliefs and they come together a little closer on, on the other issues. So, I, I think we're, it's going to be telling what we see on Saturday to uh, the reactions. We'll see if they're getting closer at all. But right now, my February 18th date for when I think an agreement would, would be happening is looking a little tenuous because uh, I think that we're, we're still having uh, a lot of work to do, and they're not there yet. 
Yeah, and I can already see the tweet from reporters on Saturday saying that the players were not happy with the owner's proposal because that seems to be the immediate response from either side whenever a proposal is made. But um, I'll be honest, Alan, you you had me pegged there because I've been trying to be optimistic about this whole thing the entire time, and I'm watching Manfred or listening to Manfred's press conference, and I'm I'm starting to feel optimistic. And you know, like you said, he's trying to make things sound good, and they're going to make a great proposal. And I'm thinking, okay, we'll get a deal done next week sometime, and we'll spring training will start, you know, somewhat on time. But yeah, I'm I don't think that's going to be happening, Fred. Yeah, the the thing about that statement is, I'm sure somebody stayed up two or three days writing it. Um, he read it very carefully. He was very careful to actually read that statement, turn papers over and read that statement before he started taking questions. And there's a couple of things that, that when Manfred should never talk extemporaneously because he gets in trouble. Okay. And he said a couple of things that one was immediately walked back by MLB when he said, well, the penalties are every, the penalties aren't getting worse for the, uh, for the luxury tax thing. And of course that we know that they are, um, to MLB's credit, they were out immediately saying, no, that was a mistake. He misspoke, okay, when he did that. The, the thing about spring training starting, boy, uh, Manfred's pretty set on 28 days worth of spring training, and you're going to need two, two and a half weeks to sign the other 90 or 100 or 120 free agents that have to be signed, and that's going to mean – that there's going to be a lot of money for the best, and then everybody else is going to be fighting for one- and two-year deals. You have to get physicals done. Those take two or three days for each each player. You can only do so many at a time. Then you've got to get them to camp. And um, Dan O'Dowd made the point today on, on MLB Network that it takes 10, 15 days of drills without baseballs and bats and swinging at things. And then you need four weeks of competitive play because standing on a ball field and playing an intramural, intramural or inter-squad game is not the same as as a in competition. And we saw in 2020 what happens when you get on the field with players who aren't ready to play. One, they get injured, and two, the scores are 84 to 76. It's just not good baseball. And they want to prevent that and – Harold Reynolds made a good point, write this down, that last year 800 different 800 players were on the disabled list of the major in all the major league 40 man roster. 800 players. That's two-thirds of your of the players in the major league. Now some of those are repeats and I know, but even so, even so, when you get when you get anywhere over half of the league has been on the disabled list in the year, it's a serious problem. The union recognizes that. Manfred recognizes that. The owners recognize it because they have a huge amount of money invested in that. So starting starting the league, starting the season on, on at the end of March is becoming more and more of a fantasy if they do indeed want to have 28, 28 days of, of spring training. Um, I, I thought that the, the nuance of what's good for everybody is, again, it's perception. It may be the best all-around deal that MLB thinks they've thrown out there from their point of view. I doubt, as Alan said and, and Jake said, that the players are going to see it that way. There's some disagreements about what's good for this and what's good for that. <clears throat> but you've been living with three-year arbitration, service time requirements, and revenue sharing for decades. 
you're not going to fix that in one setting. So you're they're giving up the compensation pick. That releases teams like the Braves so that they can sign two free agents without worrying about ever getting a draft pick again. It makes it easier for the for small market clubs to actually invest in those big players. It also doesn't mean that you're going you're going to be able to tank so easily in this by just getting rid of everybody. The extended postseason is going to be theoretically good for that. Um, the differences between 12 and 14 teams, they'll pick a number. Trust me, that's not that hard. This whole draft lottery and all that stuff, everything is minutia when it, except when it comes down to money. And the money in this situation is the players think MLB sits in the basement and prints money, and they sit in their vaults and count it like Scrooge McDuck. And MLB says that they have teams that would go, will go bankrupt if they keep trying to keep up with the big boys if they don't have revenue sharing. And neither one is actually wrong, by the way. So in, the, in, in this whole system right here, we have two sides on an outright win, and they need to understand that no side is going to win in the negotiation because that's the definition, the definition of negotiation is for compromise. I just think, uh, and by the way, Manfred made a real butt of himself by saying, I negotiated four agreements without having a work stoppage. Yeah, but you didn't, but you worked for Bud Selleck for most of those. And that's why, that's why you negotiated four agreements. It wasn't just that, just your wonderfulness doing that. So I'm just confused as the Dickens about why he would open his mouth and stick his foot in like that. Yeah, I never thought I'd see a day where fans were, were asking for Bud Selleck to come back, but. I'm pretty sure we are we are at that point now. The biggest thing for me is a delayed spring training. We've talked about it on here before, you know, with all the injuries we've had the past few seasons. You know, with a shortened season, a short spring training, and players not being ready for that, and then you know, primarily pitchers having to adjust back to a full 162-game season and seeing injuries to that, now we're going to have yet another year where it's going to be a jammed-packed spring training because, like you said, you know, again, even if we're being you know me and being the biggest optimist here, say we get a deal, you know, at the end of next week, you know, like you said, Fred, you still need. A week and a half, two weeks at bare minimum to finish the off season. I know Manfred did say, you know, they would only need a week after an agreement is made to get spring training going. Uh, I mean, still, we're cutting it down at least two weeks. We're shortening spring training to three and a half weeks at most if you're not starting till March because opening day is March 31st. Teams got to start heading back to their uh, home ballparks or wherever their first series is going to be. So uh, spring training is going to be shortened regardless, and I think that's really going to hurt starting pitchers again. And so I'm really fear- fearful of that and how that's going to play out in this season. But uh, unfortunately, Alan, it just it looks like spring training you know won't be starting on time at, at some point. Whenever it does start, I mean it's going to be a shortened version of spring training. I think that could have you know major effects on how the season plays out, specifically for starting pitchers. Agree and. Fred said it. There's a whole bunch of business of baseball that still has to happen before we get anything going, really. I mean, yes, some of this can happen while spring training is getting started, but that doesn't help the guys that you're going to try and sign over that period. And I don't 
I'm not, not sure how many guys it is, but it, yeah, it's at least a hundred, if not a, a couple hundred that, that would be involved. Not only that, not only the, the physicals, but they don't know whether to start trying to figure out how to get housing in Arizona or Florida. If it's Arizona, at least they have the ability to, to sort of choose something right in the immediate Phoenix area. But if it's in Florida, you got to figure out which coast you're going to be on, how far up or down the coast, because they're kind of spread out there. So, yeah, housing is going to be a big consideration that they normally have already settled by this point. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, you've got a couple weeks minimum before you can uh, get things organized to be able to to get everybody to ballparks and, and start working out. As far as the Braves are concerned, though, to some extent, this may be a help to them because obviously we had an extended postseason last year that went into November. Happy ending, but, uh, still you gotta have, you gotta get a bunch of guys that had, say, pitched a lot longer than they expected or normally would have pitched. So having a, uh, a little bit longer time off is probably not a bad thing for them. As far as Charlie Morton's concerned, I'm not sure what his total prognosis is, but certainly uh, more healing time would be helpful for him. More healing time would be helpful for Ronald Acunias. We still don't know what uh, his uh, outlook is as to when he might uh, be looking to to get on the field again. We, we're seeing lots of really nice-looking Instagram videos from him that uh, makes it look like he's ready to start doing damage, but you know, we don't know if he's going to be full strength uh running and catching and jumping and and landing on that repaired knee for a while but we'll we'll just have to see but if yeah if things are delayed a little bit i think that does work in the favor of the braves a little bit but at the same time you're right if it's also shortened in spring training then you've got the the issue of making sure guys are ready and and ready to to go full speed once uh the regular season hits so yeah they really need to get this thing going in earnest and with serious tangible useful negotiations this weekend i don't see that happening yet i think it's going to take another week before that might start happening but we'll just have to see how it goes yeah, because Rob Manfred even said himself, you know, it would be disastrous was the word he used if the regular season doesn't start. And I think both sides understand that. I mean, if games aren't being played, both sides are, are losing money or one side's losing money, the other side's not getting paid. So that's why, you know, I'm concerned even if spring training gets delayed, they're going to keep that March 31st opening day date. I don't think they want to push that back. And that's why I'm afraid they're just going to say, hey, let's just do two weeks of a spring training and keep the opening day slot on time. And that's what really, really worries me. But, Fred, let's talk about getting a deal done because, you know, obviously players and owners are still very far off on certain things, but there has been concessions made. I mean, the owners have at least opened up the possibility of having a bonus pool for pre-arb players. Now, where the money that's supposed to be in that pool, they're still about $90 million off. You have the collective balance tax that still needs to be negotiated. There has been, you know, movement there from the owners to at least have, you know, to raise it a little bit, not nearly as much as the players want, but to raise it a little bit and to have harsher penalties on that. And they have, you know, agreed to raise the minimum salary for players. So there has been some concessions given by owners. It's nowhere near where the players want. But in my mind, look, owners – Make the minimum salary seven hundred thousand. 
put sixty million in the bonus pool, set the co- collective balance tax threshold at two twenty. I mean, Fred, would you not think if the owner said that we'd have an agreement pretty close? Well, I think the union would kiss him if they said that because that the minimum salary then uh, with arbitration by your by your third year, everybody'd be making a million dollars and. Um, and I think they should be at this point. I think the game is at that I, point where that's fine. I'm not arguing whether they should be or not. What I'm telling you is the owners aren't going to wear that. They are going to increase it at some point. Uh, they're going to, I, I thought the last, I think the last number I saw was 615,000 or something like that. But I, again, I, I just don't see that kind of major move from the owners. Look, I, I took Manfred's, uh, it won't be able to be a disaster if we lose any games speech differently than apparently everybody else did because I don't think he plans to lose any games and I still don't think he thinks the season will start on time. This was he was setting up the union to be the bad guy if the if the season doesn't start on the first or March thirty first. And he said he said <laughs> we need four weeks of spring training. Okay. what about all these players that haven't agreed arbitration? There's not been any arbitration agreed yet by anybody. What about all these free agents that are out? This is not going to happen in a vacuum unless the players just jump in and accept the offer. Do you think the players are going to do that? Jump in and accept a low-ball arbitration officer just to get on the field? I'm, I'm not sure they'll do that. I think Manfred's prepared to push the league back, to push the start of the league back a week, install some double headers, catch the games up that way. I don't think he's prepared to lose games, but I don't think that means starting them on the first. And there's real issues with getting what Alan said, getting people in the right place, getting uh, free agents, families in the city they're going to live in for the next year or four years so the kids can get in school and everything can be hunky-dory by by August so everybody, everything, everybody's happy and mama's not pestering the guy who's trying to hit the ball about, well, I can't find a place to live, or this is really a horrible place, we can't get settled here. All those things that go on, I I, I would love to say, yeah, they're going to come out and, and they're going to be magnanimous and everything's going to be rosy, um, but I'm not that drunk yet. And I just don't think that that's going to happen. I think a lot of this today was PR. Uh, a lot of it was set up as a way to, um, as a straw man to knock down when the when the agreement doesn't come, and uh, I, I there's so many things that we don't we don't think about as as fans we don't consider the arbitration or how how the families settle in and how this all affects them and getting physicals and and, and are your players are you, is Ronald Acuna ready to play when where does he stand where does charlie morton stand where does joe joe bag of donuts who pulled a hamstring real bad last year is he going to be ready to play after two weeks of spring training or his is that guy making five million dollars going to go out play the first week and rip his hamstring out and be out for the rest of the season because he didn't get time to build up you can do all this stuff at home but it all changes when it's on the line and there's competition and you need to build up and uh, build that relationship. And that's why spring training happens the way it does. Uh, Sandy Koufax famously said, anybody who thinks spring training it should be shorter never picked up a pit baseball and tried to pitch. And and it, that's true today just like it was 60 years ago for him. This is all This is all stuff that fans blow over. Well, they can do this, they can do that, they can cancel this, they can do that. But 
it's it's not really as easy as we think. The CBA is a highly complex document, and there's so much to be agreed on. A lot of it's not changing, but a lot of it will. And the owners have set a what they call the no-fly zone today, where they're not going to talk about this uh, revenue sharing, and the union's not going to back off uh, service time manipulation uh, and arbitration. And if they stay like that, boy, there's nothing happening this weekend. Well, I try to be optimistic out there, listeners. Fred kind of shot that down and and did so in a in a in a realistic fashion there. But um, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't expect the owners to come out with a proposal like I you know made up there. But like you said, it is about the money, and those are three of the you know key areas: getting younger players paid better and making sure that teams are spending more money overall. And you know, those are the primary things that the the players side wants and Somebody's gonna have to give ground a little bit in one way um or the other, and that just hasn't happened yet. I still you know I'm hopeful that we'll start to see that process begin on saturday um but um i'm not not necessarily thinking it's going to happen, but trying to remain optimistic but uh alan does it's we're recording this on thursday February tenth is a deal in place by February 24th, so two weeks. I'm going to say yes on that. I actually still like February 18th as a date. I, I'm holding to that. I've, I said it a month or two ago, and I'm, I'm going to stick with that because of all the things we've been talking about, because of everything that still has to be done in order to get to a, a regular season start date of March 31st or April 7th or whatever it ends up being. In order for that to happen, though, I think there has to be a change in, I mean, these, there's things that each side knows that they're still posturing about. For instance, the tanking issue. Players want uh, teams not to be tanking so much. If those teams that were losing 90, 95, 100 plus games per year were spending enough money in the payroll, the players wouldn't care. Because it's not about tanking and not, not about losing. It's it's all about are they spending enough money. And that's not the way they're characterizing it. They're characterizing it as teams that are perennial losers. But what they really care about the most is are those teams uh, spending enough on payroll to spread the wealth around. The idea of service time manipulation, that affects less than 10 players per year, period. We need to stop posturing on the player side about that simply because if you've got a total membership in your union of 1,200 players, you don't really need to care about the 10 so much. So they need to drop that issue. On the other side, the the luxury tax threshold, you've got teams that certainly want to exceed that. You've got your Yankees. You've got your Dodgers. You've got your Mets right now uh, spending money like it's going out of style. Right now, the union is, uh, says that that's out operating more at like a, a hard salary cap. Well, not really the way that uh, teams are spending, but at the same time, the, the owners are trying to increase the penalties to make it more like a salary cap. They need to back, the owners need to back off of that uh, demand and perhaps increasing the cap a little bit, $10 million or so would probably do it and leave the penalties right where they are, and maybe both sides would be all right with that. So the idea of players wanting to go to free agency sooner, I'll tell you who would be opposed to that as much as anybody else. It's the fans. 
because the fans, if they get in love with a, a player, they go buy their jersey. They want to see these guys stick around with the home team as long as possible. So the fans don't want to see free agency happen sooner, even though, and you know, as, as Americans, we believe in the freedom of movement and the freedom to to select your own job site and such like that. We still also like our heroes, and we want to see them uh, working uh, for our team as long as possible. So. The idea of going free agency sooner, that should probably be dropped because I think six or seven years is still reasonable in most cases. If you want to put a cap on it by saying uh, once you've got um, six years in the league or and you're age 30 or so, then yes, you can go ahead and uh, choose your own team at that point. But uh, other than that, I, I don't think uh, that we should see a lot of movement on that point. So, I mean, that just brings us down to the only other thing that I think that the players are concerned of, which is to try and pay the kids that are outperforming their pre-arbitration salaries, pay them a little bit more. Uh, okay, we've got a framework started for that. Let's see if we can get that negotiated out, and then maybe we'll get somewhere. So that, there's my rants as to, to uh, where both sides are and on their posturing, and I think they're they're characterizing their own arguments poorly, and I'd like to see uh, things change uh, quickly so that we can get this thing done and get, get some baseball on the field. Yep, I would say I agree with that, Fred. Would you like to analyze that rant? <laughs> well, I, I actually – it probably, say, be, it probably should be it probably should be analyzed, yes. but <laughs> uh, I I think funny enough, the owners would like to pay the younger players more. The problem is that that immediately jumps the big players up the up the chute. In other words, if you raise the the bottom end, the top end, there's a there's a thing about inflation and about salaries and about about classes going on where you've always got a class up here, and it's not how much money it's made, they make, it's how much are they separated from the guys who aren't making as much money. And right now you have the young people making half a million dollars a year, which sounds like a lot to us before, but they pay a lot of that out, and it's it's – it's a lot of money to me. I, you give me half a million dollars, I'm happy. But, 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 and you've got the people at the top making forty million dollars a year, and then you have veterans like Heredia, who ha- is still arbitration eligible guy at age what thirty one, and and he's making a million dollars this year, and that's that. These he's a veteran, even though he was still arb eligible. He's a veteran player because he's been around around this block a long time. And those guys aren't making any money. Now, you can argue that they shouldn't because they're, they haven't been able to stick uh, at all. That. But what you have is a separation in class between you've got the kids that the union is fighting for and the rich people that the union is fighting for and the middle class of the of the player, the veterans who would be around and, and, and step in and, and play an uh, important role for you uh, for a year or 18 months. We've seen it happen with uh, with guys over the years. The Giants are famous for pulling Mabry, John Mabry, in and, and turning it, turning that, turning him that pumpkin into a into Prince Charming. And those guys like that, they're getting cut out of this. And I'm not saying they should make a whole lot more money than they are, but if you're going to push the minimum salary up for the for the uh, younger players, and those guys are still going to be making that much money, there's a problem there in 
And why do I want to do this if they don't respect me anymore? And I don't think the union's making that case very well. I think that I think there's a, the, the the luxury ca- uh, luxury tax is a theoretical cap, but the number of teams who actually pay the luxury tax uh, you can count on one hand and still wave with a couple of fingers. They don't care about it as much. The Dodgers proved that. <laughs> the Dodgers proved that when they when the when the new group took over. The Yankees have done it in the past. The reason they're not doing it now is they found out it doesn't pay to sign all those big guys because those don't win championships for you. So I don't. I'm not worried too much about raising the cap a little bit or the penalties because very few people are involved in that. It's the same number as the guys who would be affected by uh, by the extra year arbitration. What the extra year arbitration does is it takes them off of your books earlier. Instead of trading them after four year or after five years before they walk in year six, now you're trading them after four years before they walk in year five. So all of that mess is all so complicated. There's no there's no easy way to put this out there. The only thing we can hope for is that the two sides understand that a prolonged fight and a prolonged dirty fight is going to make fans so mad that they're going to go watch lacrosse, and that's a shame. Yeah, I won't be part of that no matter what, but uh, I understand the point. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope both sides understand that I have tickets once again to go watch Mike Trout in Atlanta. And if I miss out on that for the second time in three years, I'm going to be really, really upset because I had tickets You're going in 2020 as well. So, yeah, it's definitely happened now. Bob Nightingale tweeted it, so you know it's happening. Um, but I, I just want to see the season start. I'm with both of you. Hopefully the two sides understand the urgency here. I hope a deal is done within two weeks. I mean, if it's done – by next weekend, I still think there's, I wouldn't say plenty of time, but you still have enough time to maybe get four weeks of spring training in. But it's, again, as optimistic as I'm trying to be, I still just with the way these two sides have handled everything and not wanting to give in at all either way, it's just hard for even to imagine a deal's done within two weeks. But um, hopefully you're, you still stuck around for that good conversation on the CBA negotiations. But, Fred, I'll kick it back to you. Anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? We should at least say a good word about Gerald Williams. Uh, Gerald Williams passed away this week at 55 years old. You may or may not remember Gerald. I'm old enough I remember Gerald Williams. He played for the Braves for, for parts of two. He played for part, parts of two seasons, 1998-1999, uh, mostly as a uh, as a fourth outfielder guy. But you know, and and uh, he came over in in '98, put up an 856 OPS, hit 10 home runs, stole 11 bases, drove in 44 runs, started about 85 games. He he pinch hit and some. He shows in 129 games, but he only played about 85 games uh, start to finish. And then he turned around the following year. He played in more games. He hit, had, had a 792 OPS. He hit 19 more home runs and was part, or yeah, 17 more home runs. And he was part of two really good Braves teams in '98 and '99 that were part of the streak. And it's guys like that. Those that's the guy I'm talking about when I'm talking about the middle tier player here. The Gerald Williams would come in and, and hit 850 for, put an 850 OPS up for you. And, and they make a dollar fifty coming in and do that, but they're on the championship team and you don't win without them. The, uh, Heredias of the, of the what? Williams was a real good player for, for the Braves. He was mostly a Yankee player, 
our best wishes to his family and and think think kindly of him for what he did for the Braves in '98 and '99. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Fred. Um, a lot of you know former baseball players passed away recently. And also, obviously, Jeremy Giambi passed away here in the last couple of weeks as well. But um, thanks for mentioning that, Fred. Uh, Alan, anything else you want to talk about before we end this podcast? Well, I'll echo those words that uh, Fred just said about Jerry Williams. Uh, if we want to look for any silver linings in the next few days uh, in this negotiation session, let's just see if the tone changes uh, about certain things, like I was just mentioning, uh, tanking, service time manipulation. If if the, if the two sides start getting more realistic about those kinds of things, then I think we're on the road to a deal. And that's the hope is that uh, they finally get off of the posturing and get on to something uh, that that's significant. Let's make a deal. I think that's a game show. But um, hopefully <laughs> they uh, they do make a deal here pretty soon. Uh, I know we're all ready for that and ready to see this frenzy of offseason that's going to happen. Once, that, uh, once we do get a deal, that should be a pretty fun couple of weeks for baseball fans. But that will do it for us here on this episode of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. Make sure you do subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you check us out on TomahawkTake.com as well for all of our written articles. And we will talk to you next week. This has been the Public Posturing, Prevarication, and Procrastination edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast, which is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants, as we've rejected Minute Media's proposals on that subject. But we're still not locked out yet. All rights reserved. One of the musical selections used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. This was a piece by Kevin McLeod entitled Pilot Error, which was modified to fit in the available space. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other musical selections used come via rights already purchased by TomahawkTech.com. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and may your posturing qualify for any finishing school of your choice. Meanwhile, grab a glove, and let's find some common ground for a game of Braves baseball. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.